0: We're super excited to have Art off on our Open Source Startup Podcast. Art will be coming here to talk about cube.dev So just one quick overview of what kube.dev is. It's an analytical API for building data applications. So thanks a lot, Art, for coming on our podcast.
1: Sure, yeah. Thank you for having me. Really excited about being today here and chatting
0: with you. Cool, awesome. And so I think let's kick it off. You're just telling why you started this project and company in the first place or what got you inspired to do this, especially given this as pretty unique project in the space.
1: Yeah, yeah, thank you. Happy to share just my perspective on you know like the data space and you know why we started Cuban and why it exists. So what we see right now is sort of a data warehouses, cloud data warehouses. They not only become you know a system of records for analytical data, but they also catalyzed, obviously, the adoption of data in different organizations, but they formed a foundation of the whole ecosystem of tools, which we, we call a modern data stack. And as, you know, like one of the main ideas of that new ecosystem is that to make every person a data consumer, customers, partners, team members, and it means We need to have a lot of different and diverse data applications, right? So everyone can be a data consumer. And this application, they can be different from customer-facing embedded analytics to our custom-tailored data tools for different roles and functions within organizations. So the way this would happen, that would create a lot of challenge, and it's already creates a lot of challenge for data teams and application development teams, specifically on how to manage the data consistency across all these data applications. Because if you define all the metrics, caching, cruel access control on data application level, it would lead to inconsistency. It will lead to a lot of extra work to the data team. So we definitely we need to put that somewhere upstack. It means that you know, it brings us to an interesting thing that we need to reconsider the role of BI here and something that could provide that consistency up stack and something that definitely should be decoupled from visualization at the same time gives a, way, a power to data teams to provide that consistency and should be API first. You know, like some people would call it a headless BI, right, or something. So I think that's the right way to think about Cube. And that's how we started it in the first place, thinking about that we need to build something that's going to be like a headless data platform that can be between the data warehouses and many data applications and data consumers and provide these three layers of consistency, like data modeling, access control, caching. And my co-founder and I, we actually started to work together on a different project. The company was called StatsBot. And we were trying building sort of a Slack application that was connecting to different sources, getting data out of all of the sources and pushing it downstream to Slack and our Microsoft Teams. So it's sort of, you know, like the same problem, right? We would have a lot of data applications, a lot of data sources and how we would create this technical engine to power such system. We built Kube for us internally. and Over time, you know, we realized that people are more interested in Kube rather than StatsBot, and we wanted to get it into hands of more developers and data engineers. It was like three years ago, and it felt right to open source it, to distribute it to all of those data insurance application developers. And we did that. So we open sourced it three years ago, and that's when Kube journey started.
2: Awesome. And you've seen some really strong success on the open source over twelve thousand GitHub stars, a really large community on on Slack of almost four thousand people. How how did you actually go about doing that? And were you surprised by some of the early traction, or was some of this a concerted effort by your team to just grow really rapidly?
1: I think that was a very nice surprise when we open sourced it, and we we started to see traction. I guess pretty much. One month, a few up two months is after we open sourced it. It was just only me and my co-founder back then, and we released Cube from StatsBot, and it was very immature, obviously, when we just released it because we wanted to give it to the developers and learn from the developers, right? What they need to fix, what integrations they need to build, what features they need to build to make it mature sort of a chicken and egg problem product is not ready but we want to have a users so we can make it ready right so what we did is we open sourced it and i think i started to blog a little more like a technically how cube can solve some specific problems and mostly if you're building a data application that you want to provide a data to your customers right as part of your software how you would solve this problem with cube and some specific database maybe snowflake the query so i started to block really focused on this kind of a problem that practitioners have and it brought a significant amount of users early on they were finding us mostly through these blog posts and sharing cross reddit hacker news like these on all of these places and featuring in the newsletters i think that was the initial the growth fuel my co-founder he was spending a lot of time just basically talking to these developers and then just kind of writing a code, basically, you know, talk and write a code, talk and write a code. And I was just making sure that we have more developers that he can talk to. And so that was like an engine we were running for maybe like five months or so, five to six months. And then we realized that we started to see first real world productions with the cube, and very positive feedback. So users were happy. And then then we decided that it seems it's working and we just need to understand how we can go and scale it from two people, maybe to like 10, 20 and beyond
2: Yeah, and one of the biggest challenges for open source-based companies early on is figuring out the content strategy, but then also where to put that content and who to get in front of and who you actually care about reading it. And so because of that, did you target your content at certain types of users? And did you have really differentiated distribution strategies to just make sure it got traction and picked up in front of the right people?
1: Right, yeah. Persona wise we always targeted application developers and later started to target data engineers. But in the early days, it was mostly application developer. Given that it's sort of a broad term, right, like what application developer means, we started to target more based on the tech stack that people would use. So if the company is building with maybe D3 or Charges React on the front end, and they would be building with Snowflake or BigQuery on the back end, and they would have the problem of how to get actually this data from BigQuery And build an api on top of this data cache this create metrics out with it and then deliver to charge yes right the sort of ideal use case for us especially early on and then we tried to decompose that into how practitioners would approach that problem how they would think about it uh, literally going down to what things they would put in a google to search for that solution right and so out of these things you can construct the topics that you would block about and then the next step would be, as you mentioned, distribution, right? How you would distribute that. I think here is more like, there's obviously an active channel where like, I am as a developer, I have this problem right now and I would go and search for that. I mostly like to use Google or maybe GitHub to search for some project. So there's like areas that I would search. And also there's more like a passive people, right? I'm a developer myself. So I know that, you know, like we developers, we will go to Hacker News just to read during the lunch break or something. The same with the reddit and other different publications that the two is great Dishon is kind of old school so that's a great areas to be even if you're not actively targeting these people right now because they may not have a problem and maybe last list, newsletters obviously are great because people just receiving them you know like reading through the saturdays or something kind of try to educate themselves of what's going on in the world like in terms of new technologies the people who run newsletters, they're always interested in the content, so you don't really need to pitch them, right? If you build a really good content, really good projects, you, you have it on a Reddit or somewhere, they will just go and pick you up anyway. So I think that's sort of an engine that we've been using to promote early on Cube.
0: So I want to talk more about the space in general, because I think JS is open source project, right? That you started with, and Kube.dev is sort of like this more larger Know, company brand around it cube.js is not a very typical framework is not a dashboard is not just a database is sort of like an intermediate right. layer in between and i think we'll like to dive deeper into how to even like evangelize something like this because it's not a space that exists. There's nobody that will search for a headless infra BI data layer. <laughs> right, <laughs> But it's not something that people already know. And so I was looking at their earliest blog posts about cube.dev. It wasn't even mentioning cube.js at all. It's actually right. what data warehouse should you choose? What database? It's very data tutorials and you sort of transition into cube.js at some point. Talk us through like in the beginning, like how did you even talk about cube.js in the beginning and how did you? evolve the message so that something people can understand what kube.js even is?
1: Yeah, that's a very great question. And I guess there are like many, many questions here. I think that's very true that we had this problem with that. We are sort of creating a new category, right? And there is no existing reference that it's easier to tell people. Right now, I feel that more and more people, they educate themselves and like and know about the headless BI space. So it's kind of easier to speak with people right now, to be honest, rather than it was like two years ago. That's why Cube positioning and messaging could evolve over time as well. I think when we only started, our way to talk about Cube was really around local problems, like how Cube can specifically help to solve this, how Cube can help to build an API to power D3 dashboard, right? Kube is not a dashboard, it's not a database. But then you have a problem how to connect things together, right? What a glue and Kube with that glue. So that sort of was our positioning really on focusing how to build this with that. And let's talk about Kube because you're right, people were not looking for, you know, like API middleware, like headless BI or something, right? Right now they started to but they didn't back then. So we are really focusing on different problems that Cube can help. And I think being in the middle help us to leverage integrations. So it's very important for us to be friends and a part of really with the ecosystem. And then we can go and maybe present at the event for some specific charting library, some specific database. And then the audience of these products will learn about Cube and how Cube can work with this tool. So I think that's what we leverage a lot early on and we continue to leverage.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. So you start with very specific examples, how to use Kube, but actually yeah. never explain as much what headless BI layers are. But how do you evolve CubeJS on itself? Because it's a very open-ended framework, right? There's the data layers and also the queries and the visualization that you power it. What drives the decisions that makes you build Kube.js the way that it was? Yeah, I just imagine it's a very unique part of the stack. You know, there's many different kinds of integrations and many ways you can build it. Was there any sort of like key drivers like, okay, we believe these frameworks and we build it for particular performances or any factors that will be be helpful?
1: Yeah, we have the sort of internal vision of the world. I think that's... So one driver, to so sort of, you know, like my co-founder and I and our team, the way we see the world, and also there's like external, that's what we hear from community. That's a big benefit of having a community that actually can give you feedback. I think that's a combination of these two things that drives decision. For internal part, we believe in a world where everyone would be a data consumer, like customers, individuals, team members. And to make it reality, you need diverse Set of data applications. You cannot have only one like BI that will serve everyone, right? You need to have every data tool custom tailored, different controls, and specific organizations in your company. And then you need to have data application as part of your product for customer facing part, right? And it means like that's the vision of the cube. And cube wants to provide an infrastructure to pipe all the data to these data applications to make sure that. Data is accessible and consistent so that sort of you know like what drives our decisions like what do you need to do to make the data consistent is caching a consistency we think it is because if you have a different latency in different data applications something is cached for like days versus others for an hour it's not a consistency right already so it means that you have this it has this caching consistency up stack that's why we invest a lot of into caching. Same goes through the access control and the metrics layer. And that's, that's one part of our internal acquisition. And then we have a huge community that actually contributes. A good example here, we got a contribution for the GraphQL API. So initially, Kube had only REST API, but uh, the GraphQL is very popular and a lot of people wanted to query Kube for the GraphQL. And actually community contributed the GraphQL API. So, and it, it really like follows our big reason, right? Just to be to be accessible to every data application with different APIs. So, that's like a great when you see the community being kind of on the same page with you and they contributed this GraphQL API. So, either it's contribution, like code contribution, or it's just kind of a feedback. And like when you jump on a call with users and like contributor and they share how they see queue, you always try to get that information and process it.
2: And it's really interesting. you have users all the way from early startups to companies like IBM and Walmart. And so when you're going to the community to try and figure out how to support them and what to build next, like what features, what paid business models, how did you prioritize serving just such a broad set of customers?
1: Yeah, I feel not different. Like we all know the different, you know, the segmentation of early adopters, like the early majority and all of that. So I feel that some of the groups they are less vocal than others, so in reality, you probably only as a, like a developer or maintainer of open source project, you cannot hear all the users, all the voices just because some voices are just louder, and you you're kind of biased because you, you always hear the louder voices, right but at the same time, usually the louder voices they being more visionary in terms of the users, so they who care about. The open source and they care about the data stack. I think in our cases, we try to get a signal, even if there may be a lot of noise, we try to get a signal and try to understand, you know, like obviously there are some features that maybe enterprise companies would want and they would be ready to pay for it, but they may not move the project fundamentally further, right? Because they're more like a conservative features around security, around governance that you really need to have in place if you want to make a business with them, right? But as an early stage, you probably need to prioritize sort of a vision and how you move things towards that vision. So that's sort of a balance we always try to keep, you know, like, and that's why it's great to have a diverse set of users.
0: Going back to about the space a bit, you know, going to like this data headless BI layer, I think this is a very open-ended term sometimes because, you know, you can do a lot of, like you said, infrastructure for Connecting to warehouses, but you can also do so much on the front-end dashboard side, right? And how do companies or users typically compare you with? You know, because I guess this is not your typical ETLs or this is not your typical warehouses. It's sort of a mashup. <laughs> and so do people usually compare you with some other products or or this is completely so unique that you had to come up with a new term completely and tell everybody this is a new category. I'm just wondering how how does it even happen in terms of your customers? Because uh, I think users, they will probably have a different way to think about you in the beginning, right?
1: I think most of the time, the main alternative you keep is do it yourself. Just kind of take all of the different pieces of different tech stack and kind of, you know, do a lot of connection together and build some system as you can. So there is no like a real product X that a competitor to cube that kind of it's usually a good and a bad thing right because it's good not to have a competitor but it's a bad thing because people cannot really understand what you're doing right and it's like not that easier for them to say oh you're just like x but better or different in this way right it's not a case for cube that's true so that's sort of you know like one thing we live with and it kind of brings in some interesting <laughs> sometimes kind of problems so that people we used to have a lot of people who were thinking that we in a dashboard business and a chart business and they were trying to understand like how to build a chart with cube and like we cannot, because we don't have charts we are we are headless and i think we started to see that less over time but that was like a problem 2 years ago many people they were like thinking about cube as like a charting library i guess having js in the name and i think right now we try to not to use js as much as we used to so we we usually just call cube cube But back then, we called it GS very heavily, and it sort of creates this preconceived notion that you do something with the front end with the charting libraries, right? And that's a lot of people, they were like considering Q as a charting library. Yeah, I guess, you know, like answering your question, it's not an easy thing, you know, like not to have a competitor (laughs) Uh, that you can say, we just like this, but better.
2: And as you were creating this new category and trying to figure out what to call it, how to position yourselves, Did you look at other companies and look at their models and look at how they did it and like take inspiration from that?
1: Yeah, there are a lot of great companies that, you know, like I admire and and like in different steps. I think when we started to, you know, like look at the space in general, you know, like there are many things that could look familiar. For example, I think the notion of APIs or headlets been for a while here, we know that there's like a category headless CMS that's one thing that we sometimes use as an example when you talk about Cube. It's like a CMS, but, you know, a like headless, and Cube is like a BI, but headless. And there are a set of products that take some function and makes that function to be an API, like Algolis, search API, right, and Cube sort of, you know, like analytics API, and like Twilio or Stripe, the good examples. So I think we look at a lot of this API first, like a headless companies, as an example, how they position themselves, how they structure, even like the things like the pricing, right? How would people, I know that's not very open source connected, but we have a cloud product, right? And we have to think about the pricing. So even when we look at things like the pricing, we look at the API companies, headless companies, and API companies a little bit just to understand, you know, like what people would expect to see as sort of, you know, pricing structure.
0: Talking just about your product, we're a Kube.js open source framework, right? People are picking up, as you mentioned, to solve very particular integrations and now they see you more as infra layer. How would you go about actually thinking of an enterprise product on top of this? Is this very obviously you're going after as a managed service? It's actually not as obvious, you know, now thinking about it. which part of it do you manage? Is it the data? Is it the visualizations? And where do you even sit? Caching is part of the fading or not? Tell us more. Like, how did you actually go through that thought process? Like, what I'm selling on top of CubeJS, and was it very obvious from the get go? What do you want to, as a paid product, or was it?
1: Yeah, when you started to think about what we can build as a commercial product, we first started to think, "What is Cube and where it sits in a stack?" And exactly the thought process you just had. Like, what is Cube in general, right? Like, what infrastructure piece we have here? And technically, Cube is a set of Docker containers that you run and you run these Docker containers as an APIs that consume data. You just basically request the API from this Docker containers and then you got a result back. And also you have like a different set of Docker containers that we call a caching player. And the job of the caching player is to get data from your file data warehouse cache that data and then make sure that it's available when the API comes in and API kind of instances they need to access the cache. So it turns out it's quite complicated uh, infrastructure to run, even, you know, like for system developers. So there are like many moving parts. You probably need to have something with like Kubernetes to manage that. And when we continue to learn how people run it and what the problems see, they see during development, then staging, testing, and then kind of running production, we started to create a really huge list of the problems, like how we scale the API layer, how we scale the caching layer, how we manage, you know, like if we have a huge data model, how we manage the memory because the memory is limited, right? And we need to make sure that you can either partition the data model somehow. A lot of a lot of like infrastructure issues started to pop up, and we've been collecting all of this and thinking about is there a way for us to build a solution that can hide all of that complexity of running it and just kind of a package it as a cloud service that can either be fully managed or more like a hybrid where, you know, like the data plane is separated from the control plane. So I think that's how we started the Kube Cloud and what the Kube Cloud ended to be is fully managed platform. And while we were building it, we realized that because we now manage infrastructure, we have an opportunity to create a lot of different tools on top of Kube to just to make development easier. One big thing that we we big believers in Kube is that uh, the way we work with data, we should apply software best practices to the way we work with data right now. Things like a version control system, isolated environments, staging and feature branches, all of it. So in our cloud product, we kind of implemented and integrated with all of that. So developers, they don't need to worry about how I connect with my GitHub here, how I integrate it with CI, CD and all of that. How would I debug query? How I would understand that, you know, like my cache updated so they have it with like a fully integrated environment and so that turned out to be our cloud product i guess it's mainly all this learning they based on the work we've on open source we did in the last two years
2: yeah that's a nice lead into the next question we wanted to dig into which is timing and when you started thinking about the product versus just growing the community did that at all align with different fundraises and expectation then around monetizing at a certain point
1: yeah, I think we first started to think about our commercial product about a year after we, we launched open source because we decided that it's a good time to raise a seed round for Cube, And obviously we know that it's on a seed stage probably the major thing is like open source momentum, but it would be great to have at least some idea or understanding how you can monetize it down the road right so that's why when we started to think about that it was super early so just like a lot of random thoughts and ideas like that we can bounce with the community to get their thoughts we built a few prototypes of that and this and i think when we raised the seat we really focused on growing the open source and we continued to do that more like in a back burner and then maybe uh, six or eight months after that we we kind of things picked up, and we continued to, you know, like, uh, think more about the cloud. And by that time, it was good because you already collected a lot of feedback. It was, like, one and a half year old, you know, open source. We saw a bunch of deployments, so that was a good just time for us to re-engage with that activity. And I think we're building, like, Cloud for like five, six months, this is the first version. And then accidentally, we just raised a series A. We, it was like more an accident that, that we wanted to initially plan around the date when we launched our beta. So we raised our A, we, we launched beta, and then we continued to build cloud, but just with the real users on it. And then just only last year in end of October, we opened the PA.
2: I wanna dig into something you said around engaging the community. There's a lot of questions I think for early open source project owners on how to actually do that in a smart systematic way. Like is it like sending messages into the Slack chat is it directly reaching out to certain folks and how do you even get a sense of who's in the community if they don't self-identify? Like what what is that actual process of doing discovery with the community around what you could potentially have as a product?
1: I think what worked very well for us is when someone pinged us with a question, especially early on, and my co-founder and I, we were mainly people who were answering questions in the lab. It was an opportunity for us to connect with users. And if we would see an opportunity for an interesting discovery, maybe an interesting use case, kind of, you know, like a lot of data, great tech stack. Think like that, we will try to follow up with that. We'll try to provide a value obviously in helping people, but helping more like holistically because it's in a community, it always could be either ping pong people ask you a question without much of a context, you try to give a best guess and give an answer, and then you just you never see that person again. Or you can try to use it as an opportunity to build the connection. Sometimes people be more proactive and they wanted to, you know, like. We got calls from some telecom companies trying to hire us early on when we were doing cubes. Uh, So people sometimes they were like being really active, trying to get a holistic help. And we were using this as an opportunity to build this relationship. And then, you know, like having this several, you know, like dozens of this relationship, they really help you to get this this feedback. I think it's more like a question you need to build first relationship with the people, with the quality users and then use this relationship you know, like to maybe test your cloud product, to bring them as a design partner, if it makes sense for them and for you, right? But I think first, relationships comes first.
0: So I want to ask, going to kube.dev, sort of like the webpage, the landing page, it goes straight to get started, go sign up kube.dev accounts, and you just deploy a cluster. Are you at the point where people already kind of know what kube.js is, and you just go straight to, here's our product, here's a deployment, here, just do that first? Or does users actually still need to scroll down and learn, okay, what is kube.js, and what are the documentation? I'm just curious, was it always been like this, where you tailor your product to people kind of already comfortable in using kube.js? Or did you have to start off a different way?
1: I think because my co-founder and I, we are very like, product-minded people, our goal has been to always try to design the product the way that it could potentially serve for the user who never heard about it and doesn't have any prior knowledge. It obviously will not work for everyone, so you always keep you know like a persona and set of skills. If we're talking about application developers like data engineers, we cater only to those who know SQL, right? Obviously, if we don't know SQL, we cannot cater to you at this point, and that's fine, as long as you have like a clear segment and a skills and sort of, you know, like understanding the persona. And then idea was, let's make a product as much as self explain as possible. So they can just go connect the database. And then it says, okay, now you connect the database. Let's create a schema. You created a schema, Let's and execute a request. And then they re- execute a request. And then we say, okay, you executed this request against gain the data set and you got that result back. And then they, try to understand that. That's our, you know, like opportunity to really show by learning. I believe many developers right now, we don't have a lot of time and developers are practical people. They wanted to try things and just, you know, like learn by doing. That's the way we design a product. We just try to give them a learn by doing and without needed to read a lot of information right beforehand and then just kind of click, 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 connect things. And then hopefully we bring them to the aha moment.
2: Very cool. And, The other thing we wanted to make sure we spent time thinking through and talking about with you is around the team structure and especially going through this transition of community focused, trying to understand their needs and growing the user base to then actually offering a paid product. Who did you hire in at that point? And did the team structure change outside of just natural growth from where it was before?
1: The first few hires, they were all engineers and DevRel. Well, DevRel, they engineers, but more like a social engineers, if you can say, like people who not only write a code, but also will blog about code and maybe give a talk. But pretty much all engineers hires. That's what we were doing for after SEED and before A. I think our team was really either software engineers or developer relations engineers. After A, we started to bring our first more like go-to-market team, you know, marketing, sales, customer success. All, our developer relations started to, you know, like to grow and unbundled into customer user success or developer success now. And then some of it became more like focused on growth. Some of them focused more on integration. So I think it kind of naturally happened. But right now we're still very heavy on developer relations. So I think our headcount in developer relations like five or six times better than in marketing. I think that the main driver of like awareness and growth and just very, very recently, we started to hire more like a traditional, you know, like a go-to-market sales leaders, found executives and all of that. Because since we have a cloud product and all this inbound interest, just kind of we need to make sure that we have enough salespeople just to transfer funds.
2: And on the sales front, are most leads still coming from the open source community or are you finding that you're seeing success kind of independent of it?
1: Yeah, right now we're still enjoying the luxury of getting full inbound from open source community. We really we, we don't have a sales deck yet because people already know about Cube. We don't even need to talk about it. It's all a conversation, you know, like how you can get on the cloud, what it gives, how the pricing works. So, things like that, versus, you know, like what is Cube in general and how it can benefit you because it's all inbound right now. It's obviously will change over time as we grow. But right now we're really focused on things like the pricing pride and understanding who we should talk to versus who we should not talk to, right? Because, you know, like, not all the profiles are worth to talk to. Like, we don't usually talk to some product managers, for example, because even if they may have the problem, like they wanted to bring analytics to their customers, right? They're not technical enough to understand to knowledge, the benefits of the cube. And usually when we see a product managers, we, we try to get, we would love to speak with them as long as they can bring someone technical or from application developer or data engineers into conversation as well. Because only talking to product or would, would not benefit Kube. So think like this, we try to learn. And then once we scale, obviously, we'll have to have sales back and all of that.
0: And so, where does Kube go after this headless layer? Seems like the focus right now is more about in-house applications, right? BI, data apps, dashboards, or maybe tooling you want to build around your data warehouse, and that's of course very broad. There's many, many different flavors of this. Will you even build a retool layer for people to actually drag and drop components, and you can build on top of your layer, or do you want to stay forever at this headless infra? I'm curious to hear, like, what is sort of like the future or evolution of Q might look like.
1: We want to be API first, we want to be headless, and we want to be decoupled from visualization. So we don't want it to go into that part of the business. We actually integrate with Red very well. We also, we did an, a workshop last week with a company called AppSmeet. They open source, like alternative to Ritual. I think that's a great company. So we, we definitely would love to be friends and integrate with all these heads. If we are headless, they they heads for us, right? Like visualization layers, like Red Tool, AppSmeet. But that's not only category of the visualization layer we're interested in. I think there was a big opportunity for us to integrate with BI, and we started to see very strong pool for that in last year. I think the problem here is the modern companies, they may have many presentation layers to be used. Even if we will rule out the external customer-facing part, still internal, they may consume Apache Superset, and they may consume Tableau. And then they, someone would may use things like a deep Note or Streamlit or any Jupyter based notebook, right? And if they have many tools, they would still have the same problem of consistency and data accessibility, right? So there's really like a huge value for Cube to provide to be this sort of upstack middleware that can connect to Apache Superset, Tableau, Streamlit, and provide the metrics, provide the caching and access control to all these tools. I think that's kind of a big area, big. Uh, we are looking at right now. We already integrated with Superset and some other tools in that space. So I think we'll continue to integrate better with all these like downstream data tools. That sort of picking up the big vision, I think that that would be it.
2: So you've been on this really amazing journey. The company is still super young, but from an open source traction standpoint, funding, customers you're working with, you're pretty far along. But I imagine that there's still some things that you wish you knew beforehand, or you wish someone had told you early on. Are there any key learnings that if you were a founder, say two years ago, listening to this, you would have loved to have heard or learned before you really jumped in and started building the company?
1: Yeah, with the cloud product, we've been doing a lot of, I think we were overthinking that, to be honest, and <laughs> really like doing a lot of trials and like, Why people would care about, you know, like a cloud product versus open source. It turns out to be more clear for people than it was for us, like a year ago. If I would do it, you know, like one at a time, I would try to shorten that path. And it's like really easy. I think it's a way to to do it quicker. I think maybe as now I see how the space evolved, I would probably change our positioning and messaging early on how we did that. Just because speaking of the same problem, right, as we mentioned before, like, there's no category for cube. There is no like a product, how you call, talk about cube. I think it was really hard for us to understand that as well. Like how we talk about cube, what is cube, like what content we create. Right now, it's a little bit more clear as, you know, like the category matured. So with that knowledge, I would obviously be able to, you know, like uh, build a better messaging. But at the same time, I wouldn't be able to do that if I wouldn't go through that path, right? So yeah, I think that's a few things that I would do differently.
0: And how do you advise open source founders that are looking to build a new category, a new open source project, and a new company at the same time? (laughs) And there's an obvious sort of where do we attack first problem for most companies, where I need to clarify maybe some of the message by having a lot more examples, or I need to actually have a larger team talking about a space and maybe do a whole bunch of partnerships. What would you advise people doing it? I guess, do you have a framework in mind now given you've gone through this journey? Or was it a lot of trial and errors everywhere?
1: Yeah, I guess I kind of have a framework, I believe, but it's enormous flow chart in my head that really depends on a lot of things, you know, like how you would do things. And everything starts with a product and your audience and what a problem you're solving. And then you started to branch into different areas. An example would be if you start really with, you have a whole base, like maybe you're building a Postgres extension, right? And you're all about the Postgres, you go into Postgres community and you get your Postgres community excited about your product, right? First, that would be the first thing I would do. With Cube, that was a little bit different because we didn't have like a home community, right? Like, again, it's even not a category, right? It's like, we get excited about Cube. So it was a little bit more complicated. I think things like this, that would be really crucial. That's why the product and the way it's sort of going to integrate with the data stack, that would be important. But I think fundamentally, there are like trends and that how usage behavior changes and how the buying behavior changes, that I think would be very instrumental to understand if if you do that. I mean, like different people used to buy software like 10 years ago at companies than they do right now. And it doesn't make sense to create a product that would target the people who used to buy software and not who is buying it right now, right? So I think that's, that would be very important. And open source gives this very great way to distribute software to the practitioners So I think for all the data infrastructure and many application development tools, I believe that open source is a great way. There are exceptions, obviously, but I would start one more time with open source as well. It's a clear value how you can do this. And then based on the product and the audience, it's going to be a lot of different branches of what tactical downstream decisions should be made.
2: Awesome. Well, we really appreciate you doing this with us. It was fantastic. I think open source founders will learn a lot listening in.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it was great chatting with you. Really enjoyed it.